Hi, I'm Zoe and I'm here to walk you through 1980s David Bowie. This is the decade where he reinvented himself once again. He also pioneered the music video as an art form and he got really, really rich. Bowie himself referred to this time as his Phil Collins period. I personally feel like that's being a bit too generous to Phil Collins, but when you start the decade with scary monsters and end it with Never Let Me Down, there might be a tiny grain of truth in what he said about himself. Still, there's plenty to appreciate along the way and a fair bit to roll your eyes at too. I've got four albums for you, Scary Monsters and Super Creeps, Let's Dance, Tonight, and Never Let Me Down. So let's take a closer look at the album Scary Monsters and Super Creeps. It was released in 1980. At that time, David Bowie would have been 33. And it was also the year of his divorce from Angie Bowie. It was his 14th studio album following the Berlin Trilogy. Many critics have called it his last great album. I know what they're trying to say when they say this. I don't necessarily agree with this take, but I understand what they mean because it has a particular clarity of purpose and vision. Or maybe it's because it sounds like what people expect a David Bowie album should sound like. Tony Visconti is back, Brian Eno is not. By all accounts, there was a conscious effort to make an album that balanced artistic expression with commercial appeal. This album sounds interesting, it's never boring, there's loads of technical details. It's been said that this album is the encapsulation of his 70s era, but I see it as something else again. I see it as his take on post-punk and new wave. It is, though, a definitive line in the sand between Ziggy, the Thin White Duke, and what comes next. The main thing about David Bowie is that he always had such amazing players at his disposal. On this, we have Chuck Hammer's layered guitar synth work. We've got Robert Fripp's unmistakable guitar presence. Longtime collaborator Carlos Alomar plays with this rhythm section of Dennis Davis and George Murray for the very last time on a Bowie album. We've even got Pete Townsend on Because You're Young. There's lots of interesting people on this album. I would encourage you to go and find out more about the supporting players, as we often forget about them as we bask in the charisma of David. To be fair, David does get his sax out on this, but I get the sense that the players really helped bring this particular vision to life. It kicks off with It's No Game, number one. Michi Hirota, she performed in theatre and she is the Japanese female vocalist on this track. She was also on the cover of a Sparks album. This track is hugely influential. I can think of many, many bands who've taken this as a template for their whole careers. Have a listen and see how many contemporary bands spring to mind. You can even list them in a comment on the Facebook group and we can argue over it. What I really like about this album is that it's thematic. There's a continuum with its reference to Major Tom on Ashes to Ashes. The self-reference makes you think that there's a bigger plan or vision, that there's a Bowie-verse. As well as his own songs, there's a Tom Verlaine cover on here in the form of Kingdom Come. David Bowie was not averse to a cover, for better or for worse, and luckily this is better. It's also worth mentioning that this was the age of the music video. Bowie was very connected to the visual and he was really at the forefront of this. Ashes to Ashes was the most expensive music video ever made at the time. Uh, he worked with David Mallett, who did so many of those 80s music videos and loads of those big stadium live in concert type things. Bowie went down to the Blitz Club and got himself some new romantics to be his extras. You can see Steve Strange from Visage in this video. Throughout David Bowie's musical output, there is a thread. 
seeing as we're talking about David Bowie, let's make it a golden thread. You can find it in Space Oddity. And here it is again all over this album. Even as a young child, I picked up on that feeling that he seems to be able to invoke with his music, a kind of melancholic longing, sort of like a yearning for a place that you haven't been or doesn't actually exist. It's kind of loneliness, but kind of a happy loneliness. How does he do it? It's not just flinging a bunch of minor chords together. It's magic, I tell you. Let's take a look at our next album, Let's Dance, 1983. First up, I have to say, if you weren't sentient at the time, this album was huge. It was everywhere. It ushered in the status of megastar for David. When David Bowie approached Nile Rodgers, do I really have to explain who he is at this point in time? Probably not. To produce this album, he gave him the following brief. He said, Nile, this is what I want my album to sound like. And he showed him a picture of little Richard in a red suit getting into a red Cadillac convertible. But what does this mean? Well, it means that the album is big, it's flashy, it's chromed. It means that it sounds modern, no matter what era you're viewing it from. It does owe a small debt to the 50s, and there was a 50s revival in the 80s. But this is, as always, as seen through a Bowie filter. It's really hard to be objective about some of the hits of this album because they are so overplayed. Is it good? I don't even know anymore. Image-wise, he's blonde. He's straight. He's almost normal. If you think about it, what could be more radical at this point? Like running away from the circus to become an accountant. It's a very suave and glam normie, but it's normcore nonetheless. I'd like to share what Niall Rogers had to say about working with David and working with him on this album in particular. He says, The fact that David could take old songs and reinvent them in a new way gives you a great idea of how David Bowie saw the world. I call him the Picasso of rock and roll. He saw things from a different perspective. If I showed him a pineapple, he'd say, wow, that's fantastic, but did you see this? Even if we were looking at the same thing, he'd see something new. Talking about the track Let's Dance, he says, But then I thought about my songs and how they all start with the hook, because in the black world we don't have many stations or chances to get a hit. You have to feed people dessert before the main course. So I said, let's put the hooks at the beginning. Let's have the first words out of your mouth to be, let's dance. Niall goes on to say, My favourite story of those entire sessions was when we were rearranging the songs. At one point I turned around and said, Hey David, did I make this song too funky? He looked at me and said, No darling, is there such a thing? I love that. It's the best answer he could have given and I use it every time I can because of course there is no such thing. If you make something too funky, then you've achieved Nirvana. Is Let's Dance a funk record? Well, the record is quite funky, but it's a cold funk. It's not a hot and steamy funk. And there's a place for that too. I mean, people loved it or at the very least, many, many people bought it. It took 17 days to record and it was his biggest selling album ever. It's a pop album and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. It does sag in places, but on the whole, it does what I think he set out to do, which was make something big, flashy and funky and totally different to what had come before. The video for Let's Dance has held up really well. The 80s was an expansive decade for David Bowie in that on the back of this album, he became very famous and commercially successful. 
This fame gave him the room to pursue his love of acting, and by extension he was involved with various movie soundtracks in the 80s. Some diehard fans saw this as a betrayal of his outsider iconoclast stance, but come on, he was a Capricorn, clearly ambitious and open to mainstream success. This incarnation of Bowie is smiling, affable, stylish, sexy, and grown up. So back to the album, let's dispense with the hits first. Modern Love, China Girl, and Let's Dance. I can't be doing with China Girl, even though it is a very well-written tune. Anything that whacks on the pentatonic scale, the shorthand for the Orient, just irritates me. Let's Dance has been overplayed beyond recognition, so that just leaves Modern Love. On revisiting this album, I have to say that this is the song I liked least at the time, but I appreciate it the most now. There's Ricochet, which is David Bowie doing perhaps David Byrne or Talking Heads, or his version of. We've got Criminal World and Shake It. They've got some quiet charms there. We've got Cat People with Giorgio Moroder, which is a solid track, but it doesn't really do much for me. I remember having this album on cassette and always fast forwarding or rewinding to the big hitters, which I would say usually indicates a weakness in an album. But now I feel like it might just need some time and that there is more low-key goodness in there. Perhaps an underrated album, at least critically. Let's move on to 1984 and the album Tonight. I once saw David Bowie on a chat show, I think it was Parkinson, and he said that as a child he would listen to the radio and was captivated by pieces of music where the notes didn't go the right way or broke his expectations. I think he cites Holst's Planet Suite, Mars, and also uh, Tubby the Tuba. And I feel like he's absorbed that and has used this device to great effect throughout his career. And it's this recurring device that saves the album for me, and that comes in the form of Loving the Alien. The chorus is killer. David Bowie said that the demo of this was great, and he didn't know quite how the final version ended up sounding the way it does on the album. Um, but that's the highlight for me, Loving the Alien. It's an amazing chorus. It is quite 80s production, so if you can get past that, all's good. There are no less than three Iggy Pop covers on this album purportedly because Iggy was down on his luck and needed those sweet publishing dollars. Iggy also contributes vocals on Dancing with the Big Boys, plus there's a Chuck Jackson cover, a particularly egregious going over of God Only Knows by the Beach Boys, and some inexplicable marimba. This is not a good album. It's not bad bad in the sense that the players are top notch, it's incredibly competent, but it has no direction. The cod reggae is lacklustre and doesn't work. It's simultaneously half-assed and bloated, yet forced and strained at the same time. Blue Jean is slightly more coherent, but sounds like it should be on less dance. It feels incongruous, like seeing a plastic toy in a shit. Oh, there's a nice little plastic toy in there. Ah, but it's still nested in a turd. What else have we got? Oh, Mark King from Level 42 plays bass on the track Tumble and Twirl, and we get a bit of Tina Turner on tonight, but to no avail. When it was released in 1995, they bunged three extra tracks on there from soundtracks that David Bowie worked on. This is not America, As the World Falls Down, and Absolute Beginners. This does improve things marginally, as two of these tracks are quite good. Once again, Bowie is light-fingered and wholly rips off Italian composer Oscar Rocci's composition, Much More, from his 1981 album Video Dance, 
This is the basis of one of my favourite Bowie songs, This Is Not America. The original is worth checking out if you like that sort of 80s electronic thing, which I do. And you can see how Bowie takes something and makes it his own. I think that's called stealing. Anyway, David Bowie does Saturnine so well, and that's why I forgive him for this whole album. To round up our 80s segment, we have Never Let Me Down, 1987. By this time, David Bowie has fully embraced the mainstream. With this album, once you get over the shock of the late 80s production, then, well, actually, I can't really get over the shock of it. This is only seven years after Scary Monsters, and it sounds so middle of the road. It sounds like an album made by a 55-year-old, but Bowie was only just 40. There's a song about the homeless, about his longtime personal assistant. There's also a song about young girls. Oh, David. However, we could try reframing it. You might say, enjoy this album on a yacht with a glass of Australian Chardonnay, or perhaps pounding along to the beat on the steering wheel of your 4x4 as the sat-nav directs you towards a delightfully bijou B&B for your long-awaited mini-break. Outside of that, I can't really imagine listening to this all the way through. This really sounds like what it is. It's an album made by a very wealthy 40-something rock god. It really feels like something my parents would enjoy. It was conceived for a lucrative stadium tour. I even prefer Tonight more than this because this is just so safe. It sounds like a bunch of well-paid session musicians phoning it in. Take this, he starts off the 80s with Robert Fripp as his guitarist and he ends it with Peter Frampton. Glass Spider, which is one of the tracks on the album, is pure spinal tap. Mickey Rourke rapping on Shining Star is just bizarre. This record is out of touch. Maybe he's mellowing, or maybe he's just lost his way. He's very rich and very successful at this point. But where's the artistic angle? What is the point of this album? I suppose I should say that this record sold more than Diamond Dogs, Hunky Dory and Young Americans. My Say Something Nice is at least Time Will Crawl has a late 60s folk feel to it and there is probably a decent song in there under all the overproduction. And I remember reading a smash hits feature on misheard lyrics and this came up as time crawling to the 20th century lose and that has stayed with me all this time and therefore I have affection for it. Zeros is another song that I feel has potential. Apart from that, there's not much else. So let's talk about Labyrinth instead. In case you don't know, Labyrinth is a movie by Jim Henson that David Bowie starred in and recorded songs for the soundtrack. Now this, this is rock and roll. This was done the year before this album, 1986, and David Bowie is camping it up as the Goblin King in some hose. Some fans saw this as the ultimate sellout, proof that Bowie was done. But I see it as very rock and roll. He had a kid himself, he was looking to make music for a kid's film. He always enjoyed flexing his acting muscles and here he is, having a ball. When we were kids, we loved it when he boots the puppet in the music video for Magic Dance. And this is where you really feel like this is someone who can laugh at himself and not take the whole business of being a rock and roll icon too seriously. I love him for this. Well, this is where my bit ends, but the story is by no means over. We still have the 90s and the 2000s to go. I hope you'll stay with us. For my part, I'm so happy to have got through the 80s era without once mentioning Under Pressure or Dancing in the Street. Oh, fuck!